0: Welcome to episode 6 of Advanced Scout, your favorite podcast about Clutch Baseball, a card game that's actually a board game about a ball game. I'm Paul Seely, manager of the FedWeezy Fusion. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that Clutch has a Discord, and it is awesome. Chat about the game, play games, check out cool team building resources, win yourself a Clutch Championship, and more. Come join us. A link to the Discord will be in the description of this podcast. Thank you for holding. Your wait time is approximately 15 seconds. Your call is very important to us. Please hold while we wait for the next representative. Thank you for calling the Clutch Baseball Joke Hotline. Your call is very important to us, and we'll get to you when the next available representative is available. Hi, Clutch Baseball. Uh, how can I help you? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to make a podcast about Clutch Baseball, and I like a joke. Uh, I'm having trouble coming up with one. I uh, was wondering, wondering if you could help me out. Oh, okay, yeah. We got we got plenty of those. Um. Yeah. Uh, how about we'll, we'll someone right over and you can use that and uh, let us know if that sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's see what we got here. Okay. What do you call somebody who won the Polar Power Clutch Championship? Oh, you call him me because I won. That's right. I won. People often ask me for advice. And I I think part of the reason I do this podcast is because I like giving people advice. And clearly, I am the best because I won the Polar Power League. Which means I am 100% better than everybody else. And for those of you wanting to get better, my simple advice is just roll better than your opponent's. If you roll better, you're going to win more games than you lose. So that's really, really important. And, you know, just keep working on that. You know, work on your technique. Get some practice in. You know, maybe maybe hit up the rolling cage a little bit. And just make sure you do really well there. Because, honestly, that's that's more important than anything. Um, but in all seriousness, winning a championship of any kind, whether it's, it's real sports or it's a clutch baseball league with 30 people in it requires certainly some skill, but also some luck. So I take my victory in the clutch championship as a sign that I got a little bit of both. I certainly benefited from both, but I think it's pretty reasonable to say that I also put myself in a very good position to win. So, what I'd like to do is tell all of you losers how a winner like me built a good team. First, I'm going to talk about the team itself and the roster and how I went about building that. And I'm going to talk about strategies and why it worked against a variety of teams and just kind of my mindset going into games. So first, let's talk about my roster. I had a lineup salary of 2,845 points, a bench salary of 245, which made my lineup about 3,090 points, which means my pitching was... 2,910 points. Hashtag QuickMaths. And I highlight that because it's what I touched on in the last episode, you know, like three months ago or whatever. Uh, We'll just ignore that part of it. But it's what I touched upon three months ago, which is, you know, a balanced team works pretty well, especially in our current strat meta. And the reason I say that is because there isn't an overwhelming clear advantage to building in one direction because there are so many good strategy cards that are just universally good that you just want to make sure you can use as many of those as possible, and there's not a whole lot of benefit to going away from them. And I talked about that in the last episode, so if you don't understand that, you can... Feel free to refresh yourself on that. But in short, I wanted to use all the good strategy cards. So I made my team fairly balanced so that I could use them all. Yeah. So let's start with the lineup. I went into this league. I wanted to use Bayberth. He was a new card. He's awesome. He's still very awesome. He is probably the best value card in the game, even though he's really expensive. And I wanted to use him. So... I started with him. I wanted him to be my two hitter, and the reason for that is I build lineups sabermetrically, which is to say I try to build my best two hitters to be my second and my fourth hitters, and my next best hitter to be my one hitter, and my next best two to be my three and my five hitter. I don't know if that really applies to Clutch all that much, but at least in Major League Baseball, it sort of does because second in the order gives you more at bats and those are generally fairly high leverage with runners on base fourth has the highest leverage at bats but you get a few fewer at bats and third is most likely to have two outs with nobody on so you kind of want somebody who is not necessarily your best hitter but somebody who you know if he gets a solo and run then cool But other things like hitting a single with your three hitter isn't going to help you all that much. So that's why, you know, maybe that's your third or your fifth best hitter. So I wanted Babe Ruth second. The other reason I didn't want him fourth was because if I have Babe Ruth fourth and I need somebody behind him, so I need somebody pretty good behind him and that's my five hitter, and then I need somebody fairly good behind that person to defend them from intentional walks, And that needs to be my 6-hitter. And all of a sudden, you're getting a really expensive lineup. And I just couldn't afford that. So I knew going in, I wanted Babe Ruth to be my 2-hitter. So then, I had to figure out who was hitting behind him. I Babe Ruth was a left-handed hitter, so I wanted a right-handed hitter. I wanted somebody who was eligible for Hail to the King and let never die. Because... If Babe Ruth was up and he gets walked, and I just have, I was waiting to play Hail to the King, I would like to be able to play that on my next at bat. Uh, Otherwise, that just sticks in my hand, and that kind of sucks. I wanted a player that had three clutch, ideally, maybe two, because Babe Ruth has three clutch. So if I put myself in a clutch situation, I have cold blooded in my hand my opponent walks Babe Ruth, I would like the next batter to be able to use Cold-Blooded. You also don't want a negative clutch guide there, because Grudge Match is a card that you can play after an intentional walk on defense, and the next batter adds clutch to the swing, or in the case of a negative clutch player, you'd be subtracting it from the swing. So if you have a negative 2 clutch player, you can walk Babe Ruth, and then play grudge match, and that offsets the two on base with minus two to the swing. That actually works in your advantage as the defense. So you want a positive clutch player there for sure. Ideally two or three clutch so that you can keep using cold-blooded if you end up in a situation where you are looking to use that on Babe Ruth, and you can't because he was intentionally walked. So that's a fairly small set of circumstances. I need somebody who's going to hit behind Babe Ruth. I need him to be a righty. I need him to have at least three icons. I need him to have two or three clutch. I also need him to have, you know, to be a good hitter. Ideally, I want him to have a good chart because intentional walking gives you plus two on base, which is maximum value depending on how good the chart is. Right? If the chart's really good, that plus two on base is amazing. Versus. If the chart sucks, that plus two on base isn't quite as good. So, that really narrows down your options. One option there that I definitely saw some teams use was Jermaine Die, and I think he would be ideal. I couldn't really afford him. Uh, another option would be somebody like Anthony Rendon, who... Again, it would be a good option, but I couldn't afford him. So I ended up going with Dante Bichette, who was, who I think is the best quote unquote budget option in that particular scenario. I mean he's four sixty five, so he's not exactly cheap, but for what he gives you, that four sixty-five is really good. And so now I've put us in a good situation where, okay. If Babe Ruth is intentionally walked. Am I comfortable with that scenario as the offense? Like, am I cool with that if Dante Bichette is up, he has plus two on base with his chart? And the answer is yes. It's a little dicey because that opens up double play opportunities. But beyond that, you know, I mean... Dante Bichette's chart is amazing. He's got four outs. He doubles on 14. He homers on 18. Like, what more can you ask for? So you give him plus two on base. All of a sudden, he's 13 on base now instead of 11. And with that chart, I mean, that's amazing. So I felt like that was a reasonable enough backup behind Babe Ruth that it would protect against most intentional walks. But if I got intentionally walked with Ruth then I felt like it was good. So, okay. We got my two-hitter, and I got my three-hitter. Now I need to figure out who's leading off. Because that's my next most important thing. So, next most important. So, okay, this person's hitting in front of Babe Ruth. So, I'd like them to be either right-handed or switch. So, okay, I want them to be right-handed or switch. I want them to be generally pretty good on base. And I also want them to be... Just general good value. Because I'm looking at that on all my guys, right? So, you know, I don't really want to have an 800-point leadoff hitter because that's just not what this team is. You know, I'm not spending 3,500 points on my lineup. So, you know, my points are concentrated in Babe Ruth. And I'm going to have a couple guys that are pretty good, too, like my leadoff hitter in Bichette. A couple guys who are also fairly good, and that's... Basically my lineup. That's how much I have budgeted. So, okay. I ended up going with Kettle Marte. Uh, he's very good. He, you know, wouldn't necessarily always be my ideal choice for a leadoff hitter. Somebody like Chris Bryant would be really good in this position. Um, I didn't use him just because it's sometimes a little tricky to get third base eligibility to work that way. Uh, he's also not a good defensive third baseman. And there can be times where that becomes a problem. The other thing that's nice about Marte is he plays shortstop. He's a good defensive shortstop, which means not only is he a valuable leadoff hitter, maybe not the best at that salary, but very close to the best. He plays shortstop, which does not have a lot of players that I'm super enthused about as hitters. And getting him to hit there means I get flexibility with my other positions in the lineup. So that's kind of where I ultimately went up with that. Somebody like Jeff McNeil would be amazing, except he's a lefty and I don't want a lefty hitting in front of Babe Ruth. So really Bryant and Marte would have been my best two options there. I don't want somebody cheaper like Ryan McBroom because like, I want a good leadoff hitter in front of Babe Ruth. Otherwise, Babe Ruth's hitting with nobody on. I don't want that. That's dumb. So, I want somebody on base when Babe Ruth hits. So, you know, I mean, uh, Marte is 475 salary. That's kind of a nice sweet spot. There's a lot of players at 475 salary that are very good. So, that's ultimately where I went with it, mainly because when I ended up building the rest of my roster, shortstop was a place that I really struggled to find hitters at. And Marte being able to play that was really nice. So, okay. Got my first three. Next, I'm using Edwin Rios. He's my four I went into this wanting Edwin Rios as my four He's really good value as a hitter. I mean, his downside is he's slow and he has negative three clutch. So, yeah, I can't hit him behind Babe Ruth because he has negative three clutch. That can hurt you. He wasn't great behind Dante Bichette because, yeah, I mean, technically you could walk Bichette to get to Rios and then play grudge match for that negative three to the swing, but I didn't think that was going to be that common. Um, I do think it opens you up to a little bit of abuse with full count. I definitely use that against some opponents who rostered Rios, and it didn't really get played against me, but I definitely think that's an opportunity there. So if I did it again, I might rather have Rios as like a five hitter just to make the leverage a little bit lower when he's hitting. Just because, you know, if he's your four hitter, ideally he's hitting like the most high leverage situations as a hitter. And when you have negative three clutch, that's pretty rough sometimes. Didn't ultimately come up for me, but I think it probably should have. But I wanted Rios because he's, you know, for his salary of 380, he is an amazing hitter. So I wanted him there. He's a lefty, so he works good behind Pichette. Then I'm going to switch lefty, righty, lefty. So then fifth, I have Phil Nevin, and the reason why is I set out wanting Phil Nevin because I wanted to do a platoon that was 50 points. And the best 50-point platoons were Austin Allen against righties and Pat Vallega against lefties. Now, they played different positions. Allen plays catcher. Valleca plays first, second, third, and short, though. Short at uh, two defense shortstops. Not great. So, if I wanted to have those two in a platoon, then... I needed somebody who could switch between them. And that's where Phil Nevin comes in. He's also a very good hitter, you know. He has plus three clutch, which I thought I would use a lot more than I ended up using. I went into this thinking I was going to be using clutch moment strategies a lot more. And so in hindsight, you know, maybe I just make Phil Nevin, like Sean Murphy, make my five hitter a little bit better and say, well, my platoon's going to be a little weaker, but that's, in the end, worth it. Um, but, all in all, it worked, because Phil Nevin could switch between catcher and third base, depending on what starter I was facing. So I had Valaika and Allen in a platoon. They were going to hit seventh. So, next I go to the 6 hitters. Six-hitter's a little interesting, because at this point you know we're getting fairly close to the end on salary i know that my my you know my eight hitter is going to be pretty low salary and my nine hitter is going to be fairly low salary and so you know my six hitter i kind of left up to how many points i had for the most part and ultimately i didn't have a whole lot so what i ended up going with was a platoon of Kyle Lewis and Kyle Tucker And basically what that allowed me to do was I had one platoon of a lefty with R plus three, Austin Allen, and a righty L plus three with Vilenka. So those are opposite-handed bonuses. And then I had a platoon with Kyle Lewis, who was a righty with R plus three, and Kyle Tucker, who was a lefty with L plus three. So I kind of had two different platoons that gave me different looks at different pitchers. And, you know, kind of just at least balance things out so I didn't have too terrible of a matchup. And so basically what that did is, you know, if I'm facing a pitcher like, let's say, for example, James Paxton, who is a left-handed pitcher with a R 2 bonus. Kyle Tucker does great against James Paxton because he is a left-handed hitter, so Paxton doesn't get his bonus, but Tucker has an L plus 3 bonus, so he gets his bonus. So... Stuff like that helped a little bit, just to give me a little bit of variety to make sure I cover my bases against stuff like that, so I don't have too much of a weakness. Now, Kyle Tucker is 195 points, so that is kind of a lot. It's more than I normally like spending on a platoon player, and Kyle Lewis is 85 points, so that's a pretty big difference. Ultimately, I decided it was worth it to have the same-handedness bonus platoon, but you know, Ultimately, you could use somebody like Austin Riley there instead, and you could get a righty with an L plus 3 there. So, I ultimately decided that I wanted that same-handedness platoon. I don't think you have to have that, but it was definitely nice. It also coupled really well with Greg Allen, who I had on my bench, because Greg Allen is a switch hitter with an R plus 3. So, if I was facing a pitcher who was right-handed, but had an R plus bonus... So let's say it's a righty who has R plus two. Well, against Kyle Lewis, they both get their advantages. Against Greg Allen, only Allen gets his advantages. So I could use that as kind of like the third member of the platoon just to play those matchups even more, just to give me a little more flexibility. After that, my eight-hitter was Ty France. And the reason for that is he's 50 points, and for 50 points, he's very good. He is a good defensive second baseman with three defense. He has a very good chart for 50 points, 16 double, 19 triple, 20 home run, five outs. You know, he's eight on base. That's the downside. But ultimately, I was betting on, well, he's going to get some mistakes, and he's going to be dangerous enough that you can't just throw anybody out there against him. You have to throw somebody who's not, you know, you can't throw a one to three mistake pitch range against the bottom of my lineup because Ty France is there and will punish you for that. So, ultimately, I just wanted to make sure that, in general, um, I made bullpen decisions tough. So, you know, if my opponent has to pitch his weak pitcher somewhere, he's probably going to pitch it to the bottom of the order. But if that pitcher has a high mistake pitch range, Ty France is a way to punish that. If they don't have that, my platoons are a decent way to punish that because they have high on base, right? So it gives me just a little bit of coverage. And just in general, I think for 50 points, he's a really good value. He's a good hitter for 50 points, and he's a good fielder. Ultimately, I think he's a great card, and I imagine he's going to continue to get used a lot. My nine-hitter is Billy Hamilton. And this was kind of almost a throw-in. Like I had some extra points, and I thought, yeah, you know, Billy Hamilton might be good. He's a nine hitter. He's fast. I can use slap hit to get him on base a bit. That'd be pretty nice. I did not understand how good slap hit was, but it is good. Like at this point, I'm putting Billy Hamilton in all my teams. He's 125 points. He plays four defense in center field, which means he's helping me defensively. You know, I have Bichette and Ruth as my corner outfielders. They're two defense each. You know, they need a little bit of help. So Billy Hamilton with four puts me at an eight outfield, which is good enough. It's decent. And so Billy Hamilton fills that really nicely. And, you know, the reason he's 125 points is his chart sucks. He has seven outs. He doesn't have a natural double. He homers at 24 you know, he's 9 on base with an R plus 2 bonus. So, you know, obviously he's a bad hitter. But if you have two copies of Slap Hit in your deck, you're going to get to play those at least once or twice pretty much every game. And Slap Hit basically is just your speed versus the infield, you know, in and a, and a D20. Bases have to be empty. But remember, I have Ty France, who doesn't get on base all that much, and a 50-point platoon ahead of him. So the bases are empty fairly often for Billy Hamilton. Like, not all the time. There are definitely a few times where I had Slap Hit in my hand, and Billy Hamilton came up, but there was runners on base, so I couldn't do it. Usually that means I sacrifice bunt or something like that. But, you know, either way, it works. But Slap Hit was so good that... After Babe Ruth, Dante Bichette, and Kettle Marte, Billy Hamilton had the highest average of any everyday player on my team. He hit 333 with a 365 on base percentage. That is amazing for a 125 point nine hitter. To put that into context, France, who I still think was good value, he hit 226 with a 262 on base percentage. And I'm happy with that. I think that's great for 50 points, but Hamilton being an above average hitter for 125 points is amazing. And so, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that in strategy section, but basically that gave me an element of speed that allowed me to at least leverage that a little bit in situations where I might not be able to leverage my power. Okay, let's look at the bench. So I've talked about the fact that I had a platoon with Austin Allen and Pat Vileka. I had a platoon with Kyle Lewis and Greg Allen and Kyle Tucker. My last bench player is magnarius sierra because he is 17 speed so he's a good pinch runner he pitched ran a few times he had exactly one at bat and he got a hit so you know there you go 1000 batting average for magnarius sierra congratulations you know that's his role he played it well i think he was on vast majority of teams not super complicated bench okay Let's talk about the pitching. First things first, let's talk about the rotation. I went into this league knowing I was for sure using Matt Moore, Julio Arias, and Tony Gonsolin. The reason being that they are five-inning and four-inning starters who are very good. The reason why I wanted to do that was because I knew that with a full bullpen, I was going to be okay having low-ending pitchers. So I know if I have two multi-ending relievers, and I have five, you know, six one-ending relievers, that gives me, you know, uh, quick maths here, that gives me six innings a game. But that's if I'm using all of them. You know, ideally, I don't want to have to use six innings a game, but, like, I could. And so, I knew I wanted to go low innings in my rotation. I think, in general, that's the way this meta is going. That's the way people are going to be playing in the future. I think the teams that adopted these cards in the Polar Power season, myself included, not to toot my own horn or anything, did really well. And I think that's where this is going. So I knew going in I wanted those guys. Which means I had two spots left. I knew I needed a deep bullpen. So I didn't have a whole lot of points left. So ultimately I went with Sandoval as my fifth starter. And the only reason that I did that was because... Well, he's 80 points, right? So the reason why people punt their fifth starter in cases like this is because of this specific league format. So in this league format, I don't have to pitch my fifth starter in the playoffs. He can pitch out of the bullpen, which means inherently my top four starters are a lot more valuable than my fifth starter. Now, you can use your fifth starter to supplement your bullpen in the playoffs and that can work there were teams that did that but to me I just thought well why don't I have a good bullpen that I could use in the regular season too and you know my fifth starter the downside is you know he pitched really poorly and I had to really struggle to recover from games in which he pitched but you know the upside was that in the playoffs I didn't have to pitch him for my other four starts, I had a pretty good pitching staff, and that worked pretty well. So that's why he was my five-pitcher. And then my last pitcher was Brett Anderson. And the reason why is because I was playing in St. Louis, which gives you a card when you have a double play on defense. So you turn a double play, and you draw a card. Brad Anderson has a 4 to 13 ground ball rate, ground ball chart. That's uh, very good for that. You know, I didn't really play around the stadium at all. Uh, I think this is important to mention. I, I built 90% of this team before I got my stadium. I experimented with completely changing it to fit the stadium. I experimented with throwing in faster batters. I experimented with trying to make my infield defense really high. And ultimately, I decided that when I was doing that, I was restricting my player pool too much. Which is to say, basically, if I am limiting the number... If I'm saying this player has to have 15 speed, I am limiting the number of players I can use to the point where... I'm losing out on what I think are the best hitters. And to me, that was not worth it. And as the season wore on, that turned out to be mostly true. Because, honestly, the stadium did not come into play nearly as much as I thought it would. It probably helped me as much as it helped my opponent, if not more for my opponent. And part of that's because of my build. But I also... I threw in ground ball pitchers specifically for the stadium where I had that flexibility. You know, I didn't put Matt Moore and Julio Arias and Tony Gonsolin in because I wanted ground ball pitchers. Their ground ball charts are fine. They're not nothing special. I just wanted those players. I think they're the best players. So I wanted them. Brian Anderson had a bit of flexibility. I think he's also a good pitcher. So it worked out that way, but I don't, you know, it was just a nice little flexibility that worked out. So at that point, okay, let's look at the the bullpen, because I think this is actually very important. A good bullpen helps a lot because it allows you to kind of, you know, get the most out of your pitchers. And what I mean by that is because you get to choose who pitches out of your bullpen when... You get to extract a lot of value if you choose the right players for the right situations. What I mean is, you know, if my opponent has three lefties coming up, if I put in a pitcher who has a lefty plus three, I'm getting more from that pitcher than I paid for. Because I paid for basically half of three command, right? L plus three means, okay, he only gets plus three command against lefties. So I'm paying for half of that command, basically, right? Because he doesn't get it against righties. So if he gets to use that against three batters, then I'm gaining value. If he uses that against two out of three, and he gets all three out, then I'm getting value from that too. If he uses it at two out of four, you know, he lets up one hit, but he gets it in two out of four, I go even. So, with most players trying to alternate handedness to make things difficult, you're still, generally speaking, coming up ahead if you're playing handedness bonuses. That said, you still want players that you can depend on no matter what. You know, you're still going to want situations where, okay, I'm facing the middle of the order, it's a one run game. I need to make sure nothing bad happens here. You need those guys. So you need a bit of a mix. So the first thing I built around was I wanted to use Setup Man. So generally when I want to use Setup Man, I think Setup Man is really good. It denies your opponent for most of their strategy cards for a whole inning. And you can time it because, one... You know how many cards your opponent has in their hand, so you know kind of when they're probably looking to play some, and people want to play their strategy cards on their good players. So, okay, you're coming into the seventh inning, the top of the lineup's up, your opponent has seven cards in their hand, yeah, that's a pretty good time to bring out It Man, because that's clearly when they're going to want to play all their good cards. Not to mention that this is when clutch situations start. So you kind of—it's I mean, pretty likely that your opponent either just has a lot of cards, or they've been saving their clutch moment cards for the right time, and you just denied that. So that that works really well, and it makes them—it forces them basically to play those cards in suboptimal situations later on. So I, wa- I knew I wanted to be able to use Setup Man fairly reliably. So I wanted two players who could make use of that. That way, more often than not, every game I'm going to have at least one of those guys available. Just for the sake of variety, I wanted a lefty and a righty. I also wanted these players to be good because I'm throwing them into high leverage situations. That's kind of the point, right? So, you know, a player like Jake Diekman is really good. I like his card but I'm a little uncomfortable throwing him against the heart of the order in a high leverage situation, right? Because, like, if I'm using setup man, the reason I'm using it is because this is a high leverage situation. The best bats are coming up. It's a close game. I really want to make sure we get through this inning okay. I want to be using a good pitcher in that situation, not a pretty good pitcher. And so... I kind of wanted to go a little higher in the price range than somebody like Jake Diekman. Okay, I want a lefty and a righty. I ended up with Zach Britton and Brandon Workman. The reason why those work out is because I wanted those players, again, like I said, I wanted those players to be able to go against anybody. Because, ultimately, if I'm timing Setup Man, I don't want to have to time Setup Man Oh, and also I need the setup man to have the right hand his bonuses. And I need them to fit well against those, you know. Like if I have an R plus 3 setup man, and I'm depending on that. You know, if the heart of my opponent's lineup is a bunch of lefties, and that's my only setup man candidate, I'm in really rough shape. So I want my setup man candidates to be... Not dependent on handedness bonuses. Britain has an L plus 1, but that's not a ton. He's still a 5 command. So that's really good. I wanted one lefty and one righty because that gives me at least a little bit of flexibility to play with my opponent's lineups. Not a ton. It usually didn't matter all that much, but it helped. It was nice that Britain has a nice ground ball chart. I wasn't really going for it, but it just kind of worked out that way. And... An important thing in this situation is that those guys also have positive clutch, which means there's not a lot of manipulation you can use. Which, you know, if you're playing setup man, those guys, you know, you can't get full count played against you. But, um, you know, you're not going to have setup man every single time you play these pitchers. So you do want to make sure that you get these guys in a good situation. So, okay, I got those two guys. Those two guys are kind of, you know, 7th, 8th inning, you know, ninth inning. Those are my guys. So I kind of wanted at least one more of those guys, maybe two. uh, Because, you know, this is a deep, this is going to be a deep bullpen, right? I have 5 inning pitchers. I have, you know, 4 inning pitchers. I need to make sure I have a ton of flexibility. So, okay. I have a righty and a lefty. They don't have a lot of handedness bonuses. I'm not super reliant on them. So, okay, let's get some good pitchers who have better handedness bonuses that, in the right situation, could just be unstoppable. And so, for that, I have Tommy Hunter and Dan Quisenberry. Quisenberry is absolutely a luxury here. I wanted him because I have his LE20 card and it's beautiful. He also has a high ground ball range and that is nice for the St. Louis Stadium. Really wasn't as helpful as I thought it would be, but you know, ultimately he fit with what I was trying to do. And you know, I mean he pitched good. I probably could have saved a little bit, but he pitched good. Keisenberry hat Quisenberry has R plus two. Hunter has L plus three. So those guys, I got to throw in, you know, certain situations. I mean, really, they can pitch on their own. A five command with 19 outs is still amazing, right? But if you put them in a situation where they're facing a couple lefties, I mean, Tommy Hunter will then have eight command, 19 outs, 25 home run. Like, what are you, you going to do? So, you know, that was... You know, and these guys all have positive clutch. Again, which means they can't... You you can't get affected by battle of nerves or full count, stuff like that. Again, you know, in high leverage situations. That's what these guys are all for. I want these guys to be able to pitch against the best hitters. And, you know, given that my starters are only going four or five innings, my bullpen is probably pitching the heart of the order at least two or three times. Which means, you know, I want a bullpen to be able to do that. Okay. So... Hunter can do that. Quisenberry can do that. Quisenberry also doubles as a multi-inning pitcher, which means he gives me a little bit of flexibility as far as innings go. The other nice thing about Quisenberry is he has a 26 home run and a 23 to 25 double, which is really good. And the reason why is because the current strategy card meta has a lot of power die swings, which, you know, we'll get into, but they're just really good. So, if my opponent has a ton of strategy cards in their hand, there is a pretty good chance that at least one or two of those are cards that give you a power dice swing. So, I got to use Quisenberry in a situation where, okay, I see my opponent has a lot of cards in their hand. They also have their good hitters coming up. I want a pitcher who has a really high home run on their chart and a really high double which lowers the effectiveness of those cards. And so Quisenberry got to do that. Workman got to do that because he has a 23 double and 25 home run. Britain got to do that with a 24 double and 25 home run. Hunter is a 21 double, so I didn't really want to use him for stuff like that. But I had options. Quisenberry being the best at, okay, I think my opponent's got some power die cards. I want to make sure that those aren't usable. Or at least if they're used, they're not quite as good. So, okay. That's that's my top four. That's a really good top four. Uh, they pitched, they pitched most of my innings. Uh, aside from my fifth best pitcher, who is Robbie Erlin. I love Robbie Erlin. Here's why. He's a two-inning pitcher. He's a left-handed pitcher with an R-plus bonus. Which means he has six command against righties and switch hitters. Which... Is kind of the best, like he's four command and 16 outs, which is not great against lefties, but it's okay. Like it'll work. You know, he is mainly there to be my pitcher in, you know, the fifth inning, the sixth inning, when my starters don't go very, very long into the game. And that's okay because he has negative three clutch. That really brings his cost down a lot. But that doesn't matter if he's pitching in the 5th inning or the 6th inning because it's not going to be a clutch moment very often in those innings. You know, If it became a clutch moment in those innings, I'd probably take him out. But, you know, it's unlikely. So because of that, he, you, know, you get a lot of value both from the handedness and from the fact that I'm not paying for clutch on a pitcher who's probably not going to pitch in clutch moments. I really like a left-handed pitcher with an R-plus-2 bonus because I think in general you see more righty batters than lefties. Um, I'm not... I mean, it's pretty close to even. But he gets it against switch hitters, so it's a nice little bonus. And he's got one mistake pitch range, which means, you know, you can throw him against the bottom of a lineup. And you're not going to give up a lot of mistakes to players like Ty France, for example. And... All in all, that just makes him just a really flexible innings-eating, but like still pretty good pitcher. He he was ultimately the best pitcher in my bullpen during the regular season, just by stats. Uh, Obviously, that's a little bit of a fluke, since there's four pitchers in here that are definitely better than him. But hey, you know, he pitched a lot of innings, and he was really good, and I don't think that, in general, is a fluke. I think... A lefty pitcher for R-plus-2 with 16 outs is a good pitcher, period. So, that worked. Okay, final three pitchers. I have Steven Tarpley, which I use mainly to play matchups. He's a left-handed pitcher with L-plus-3. So, you know, I'm facing the bottom in order. Two out of three of the batters are lefties. Tarpley's really good for that. Especially if it's in the fifth inning, the sixth inning. I don't really want him pitching in high leverage situations if I don't have to. works out that way. I have Phil Matone. He's four commands, 17 outs. He's just kind of like a guy like, okay, I'm facing like six, seven, eight hitters. It's the sixth inning. There's nothing particularly dangerous going on. He's going to have to pitch at some point. Let's just throw him out there. He's not worthless. He's not helpless. He's fine. Uh, And then Colton Brewer, who is not great. He's three command and 15 outs. That's pretty bad. But he does have only a one mistake range, which again means he's not going to give up as many mistakes to somebody like Ty France. And, you know, I, I used him when I had no other choice. And occasionally that happened. So, you know, it it, it was fine. He was basically my, my punt pitcher where, okay, if the game's going badly, I'm just going to pitch Colton Brewer for three innings. And... He did that very well. Thank you, Colton. So let's look at the bullpen as a whole. I have two multi-inning relievers. I have six one-inning relievers. Of all of my pitchers, I have one pitcher that is a righty with an R-plus bonus. I have two pitchers that are lefty with an L-plus bonus. I have one who is a righty with an L-plus bonus, and one who is a lefty with an R-plus bonus. Point being, I have a tremendous amount of versatility in who I'm pitching in what situation. Now, obviously, all these guys aren't going to be rested every game, but in general, it gives me a lot of versatility in who I'm playing, depending on the lineup. Workman is just my general, okay, I need somebody. He's six command flat. No bonus. He's just six command, so I'm throwing him in there. Um, And the other guys, I I can kind of play handedness with all of them. And if they don't get their handedness you know, Quisenberry, Hunter, Britton, and Erland don't have to get their hand in this to be mostly effective, but it certainly helps, so that kind of worked out, and I think, the reason I point this out is because I think this probably gave me the most advantages over my opponents overall, was just being able to kind of, like, jigsaw all of my players so that I'm getting advantageous matchups with my relievers. And the reason I like this is because, and this goes back to why I like 5 ending and four-inning starters, if you have a deep bullpen like this, not only are you getting a lot of innings from your bullpen and they can sufficiently cover those innings, but you also get a ton of flexibility. You know, I have players who can pitch in high-leverage situations. I have pitchers who are kind of more designed for lower-leverage situations. So, you know, like, if you have eight pitchers who are elite, obviously that's great. But, you know, you have a budget. So I'm saving a little bit of money by having Erlen as, like, kind of a lower-leverage guy. Tarpley and Matone and Brewer are lower-leverage guys. But they're, like, good enough that they're not going to get into too much trouble. I mean, Brewer's bad, but the other three, they're good enough that they're going to be okay. And so, I'm giving myself a lot of different looks. And basically what that means is is that I'm going to have the most options to have the most advantageous matchups possible. And that helps a lot. You know, especially when I'm reading my opponent and I'm like, okay, I know my opponent has a ton of strategy cards. I need to play a good pitcher here. I've got options for that. You know, if my opponent doesn't have any strategy cards, I say, okay, well, my opponent doesn't have any strategy cards. I feel comfortable pitching a 23 home run pitcher here because I know he doesn't have any power dice swings, stuff like that. So you get to use all that stuff to your advantage and ultimately use the best pitchers in the best possible situations. And I think that more than anything gave me significant advantages over my opponent's I mean, there's a reason why I was 11-5 in the regular season with a 24-run differential. Like, that's not a ton of run differential. Um, it was actually a 14-run differential, not a 24-run differential. 14-run differential, 11-5, an right? That's not a ton. And the reason why is because I, I won a lot of fairly close games. You know, my wins were 5-1, to 10-7, 11-3. Six to four, seven to six, six to four, ten to seven, one to nothing, seventeen to eight, it's a blowout, eight to four, four to two. Most of those are very close games, and generally it's because my bullpen was so good that I barely gave up any point any runs after you know a certain amount of time. I mean, it wasn't, you know, lights out or anything, but in general, in the right situation where I really needed my bullpen to come through, it it could. And some of that is clearly also luck, but in general, I'm just putting myself in good positions. So, okay, let's talk about strategy. I think the main thing is flexibility. Like I said, with pitching flexibility... I have a ton of relievers that give me a lot of different looks. I have pitchers, like starting pitchers, that give me different ways to play matchups. For example, you know, if I'm facing, you know, let's say we're playing in a series, right? So if I'm facing a good pitching team in a five-game series, I'm using, you know, Matt Moore and Julio Arias and Tony Gonsolin, who are three very good pitchers. You know, they're significantly less expensive, but that's because they're less innings, right? So okay. I'm thinking, okay, let's try to use master efficiency, get these guys to pitch five, six, seven innings. And if I can do that, I'm basically leveraging my advantage over my opponent because ideally I have a better lineup than my opponent if they've spent thirty, five, hundred on their pitching and I spent like twenty nine hundred. So something like that. And on offense, if I'm facing a really good pitching team, you know, somebody like you know, a lot of my hitting, like Babe Ruth, Dante Bichette, you know, some some games those bats are just going to go cold. But what I do have in that situation is Billy Hamilton. Uh, there was one game against the Kings where I won one to nothing, and that one run was Billy Hamilton getting a slap hit, stealing second, and then advancing home on a single. That was the only run the entire game. Stuff like that gives you flexibility, you know, because like if my opponent has a lot of cards to negate power dice, they have a lot of cards to make hitting difficult, you know, to control my swings, to make us that the pitcher always gets the advantage, stuff like that. That's a facet that they can't control, whereas if my you know, if that strategy isn't going to work, I still have good hitting, and if that doesn't work, I still have very good pitching that I can use too, so I mean, part of it is just I think I picked really good players, but part of it's also I have a lot of flexibility, you know, if I need just raw power, I certainly have that, if I need to just small bowl my way to a victory, I have that, If I need Matt Moore to pitch six innings and then Dan Quisenberry to pitch two innings and then Tommy Hunter to pitch another inning, that's nine innings. If I need that, I have it. So, I think ultimately what I came away from this thinking is I have a lot of ways to leverage advantages. So, You know, if I'm facing a team that has a really high battery, and I know I'm not going to steal with Billy Hamilton, I can deck running with the devil if their outfield isn't very good. Right? If I'm in a situation where I know my opponent is going to use a lot of clutch bowman strategy cards, I can make sure I'm using setup man in the right spot. If... My opponent has a weak starting pitcher, but a really good bullpen. I know that I have to play as many cards and do as much as I can at the beginning of the game before the starter leaves the game. And I have batters that are good enough to do that. So a lot of stuff like that is just, I have a team that can win a lot of different ways. And... I have a bullpen that can kind of hold my opponent down if if necessary and even sometimes if not necessary. I think the last thing I wanted to touch on that I think I got an advantage from over my opponents was timing of strategy cards. So we all know, I mean I've talked about it many times, paradise swings are really good. And the reason they're good is because they give you a d24 now on the ba- on the hitters chart a d24 and plus two the swing on a d20 are fairly similar you know a plus two the swing will give you a little more on base d24 a little more power on the pitcher's chart a power die is significantly better than a plus two on base now plus two the swing and the reason why is that You know, if you're facing a situation where you have 17 outs on your opponent's pitching chart, okay, you're adding plus to the swing, that means your odds of getting a hit are 5 and 20, 1 and 4 on the pitcher's chart. And, you know, let's say they have a 21 double, so you have two double opportunities. Okay. If you use a power die, now you have... 7 out of 27 chance at getting a hit, which is more than one-fourth. Because you have 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 7. You've also added a tremendous amount of power potential, right? So if your opponent has a 21 double, let's say they have a 24 home run. So now you have three doubles and one home run that you can use instead of just two doubles all of a sudden, that is a huge difference. Like, not only are you getting more on base, you're getting way more power. And so, the reason I bring that up is because I think a lot of my opponents would save their power die for the right hitter because they're thinking, okay, I want Babe Ruth to have this power die because he's more likely to get the advantage. And that's not necessarily bad. Like, you still want the power die in your hitter's chart. But ultimately, I think more than anything, you just want the power die to be used in high leverage situations. So something I see a lot is people using a card like See It Clearly to give them a power die swing. And it's on their best hitter, but there's nobody on base. Well, it's not really going to... I mean, it's nice, but that's not going to help you as much. You're going to get a better outcome if you use See It Clearly on your 7-hitter With a runner on second, like, yeah, you're basically just praying for RNG to work in your favor. You're basically hoping the dice give you a good roll on the pitcher's chart. But there's a good enough chance of that happening that, you know, I mean, if you're against a pitcher that has a 24 double, maybe not, but against most pitchers, you're giving yourself a really good chance to succeed. And if you do succeed, you are capitalizing on it. Whereas if you succeed with Babe Ruth, you know, maybe you get a double instead of a single. You know, like obviously you can get home runs too, but like you can get those without the power die. Point being, it's you want to put yourself in situations where you get the most benefit if luck goes your way. And if you're on the pitcher's chart rolling the power die, it doesn't matter how good or bad your batter is. You can have the worst batter in the world. doesn't matter. If you're on the pitcher's chart, power die is the exact same. And so cards like Flags Flying Out is really good because you can time it for situations where you have runners in scoring position. See, clearly is really good for the same reason. And I think I played Frozen Rope on pitcher's chart all the time. I don't think you have to have the power die on the hitter's chart. Obviously, you still want it on the hitter's chart, right? You had to pick. But I think basically what that means is you don't really have to play it on your best hitters. You just want to play it in the right situations where if that power die rolls in your favor, you are most likely to benefit from it which is if you have a runner on scoring position, right? You get a single, you know, you luck your way into a single, boom, it's a run, right? Stuff like that. And, you know, I think with my lineup, having my six-hitter be a platoon, my seven-hitter be a platoon, my eight-hitter be 50 points, and my nine-hitter being Billy Hamilton, who sucks as a hitter, you know, that was more true than ever, right? Because there were plenty of times where I did not play something like see it clearly on Babe Ruth with the bases empty. But then later in the inning, I have runners on second and third and Austin Allen's up. And it's like, do you want to play a power die with Austin Allen? Well, yes, because it's on the pitcher's chart. I mean, a single might score two, you know, Whereas, on Bayreuth's chart, I mean, you're still more likely than not to just get kind of like a single out of it, right? You know, like, maybe you get a double out of it, or a triple, or a home run. Like, you might. But, it changes your odds significantly more on the pitcher's chart compared to your other alternatives. And so... You know, I'm not saying you have to, like, you need to play it on the pitcher's chart. I'm just saying you want to play it in the best situation of the game, regardless of who the batter is. And so, for that reason, I think cheaper batters are a little underrated. Like, obviously, you don't want a lineup of a bunch of bad hitters. You need good hitters, but, you know, if you have cheap hitters near the bottom of your order... They aren't killers because you can always play a see it clearly or flags flying out at the right time and get the advantage. I mean, I hit home runs with Billy Hamilton on the pitcher's chart. I mean, it happens, you know. So, yeah, there are going to be games where you roll a power die on the pitcher's chart six times and you get no hits. That happens. But on average you're going to find yourself getting a few hits. And if you do all of those roles with runners in scoring position, then you are giving yourself a couple runs that you might not have had otherwise. And I think this team was really good at taking advantage of that. All right. That just about wraps it up. Talking about my team and talking about just kind of why it did well and the strategies. I think, you know, in general, most of these concepts are going to apply to the set going forward. Um, We'll see what the strategy cards look like in Expansion 10. That could change things a little bit. You know, if there's some really good cards that make it advantageous to go one way or the other, that might change. But in general, I think probably this is going to be a fairly similar team to what I'm looking at going forward. You know, I don't think you have to have somebody like Babe Ruth, right? You could go... You know on the cheaper side and go okay I want Jordan Alvarez right instead of Babe Ruth. Jordan Alvarez is amazing. So you could do that, right? So you know I don't think I'm not saying you have to use these players. I think I mean I think Matt Moore and Julio Arias are like I'm using them all the time. But in general it's less about the players and more about the general concept. Of what I was doing. Now, I think the players I chose are very good, so feel free to use them because I think they're great. But, you know, I think in general, the concept is you giving yourself at least a little bit of an angle of leverage in a lot of situations helps a ton. So, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.